You're listening to the Gurus, Books, Beards, and Self-Improvement Podcast, co-hosted by Andy and Brian. And the quote of the day is, an essentialist produces more, brings forth more, by removing more instead of doing more. Page 189, Essentialism. I absolutely love the quote. Yeah, that's a good quote. It is a very good quote. What do you think, Brian? Or what do you think, Angela, first? So Angela is our guest. So just everybody should probably know that first, that we have uh, Angela worked with me past tense because <laughs> I have moved on to a different company uh, in the last week or actually last weekend. That's a big <laughs> so change. It is a big change. So uh, very excited about that. Welcome, Angela, and and congratulations, Andy, on the on the new job. Um, Angela, why why don't you introduce yourself to us? Well, hi, I'm Angela Strong, and first of all, thank you, Andy and Brian, for having me on today. This is kind of fun. I've never been on a podcast before, so I'm excited. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So Angela, I've worked with first a number of years, uh, probably 15, 16 now, at least. And then um, we also do a book club. So, we sure do. And we are actually doing a symbolism this month. So <laughs> kind of because I picked it <laughs> to go along <laughs> with our podcast. And so then I said, Angela, you're reading essentialism. Let's have you on. And we love to have guests on, especially people that are interesting and have some thought provoking ideas. So and Angela is always participating in the book club and awesome. very much like the one of the sole people in this one or in that. So very enjoyable. Thanks, Andy. Yeah. Well, I'd like to ask you a question, Angela, before we break down this this quote of the day. What are you thinking of the book so far? I think it's great. And I wasn't really sure about it when I first started reading it. And it was kind of funny because the the author actually said something that set my mind a little more at ease. And he said, this is not a minimalist book where you're trying to get rid of all of your stuff. And I kind of thought that that's what it was about. But I thought it was actually very different than that. And, and the other thing that was interesting is it seemed almost like common sense, you know, through through the especially through the beginning. And but I have realized in my life that usually theories or, you know, ways, you know, like a process like this is usually when they are the simplest ones that seem like common sense, they are usually the most effective and the most meaningful. And so by the time I was finished with this book, I thought, you know, this is really a great book. And I loved it. I couldn't agree more. This is one of my favorite books for basically those very reasons. You know, the, the idea of simplifying and doing less but better, less but more, right? It is, it is wisdom of the ages. And our society today has really broken away from these great ideas and essential things to live by. Well, absolutely. Because, you know, we, we all just try to work harder and harder. And it seems like we really need to go back to working smarter instead of harder. Agreed. 
Which is why your quote is so good. <laughs> yeah, so let's 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 break it down, right? So an essentialist produces more, brings forth more by removing more instead of doing more. It's a lot of mores. Yes, it is. <laughs> It's a ton of mores. The interesting thing about this is it goes back down to those whole concepts of being able to do 20% of what you should be doing. You know, these are 20% of the things that you sh could be doing or should be doing. <laughs> like there's a hundred percent, we should only be doing 20% of that. And I think it breaks it down into that saying, I, I think there's this misleading idea that if you work harder, you'll get somewhere. And I have seen that over and over again, people that burn out on doing overtime, doing, you know, I've seen it at work a lot in the office and people just thinking that they need to burn the midnight oil to be able to get things done, you know, waking up at 6 a.m. to go check their emails. And then they realize that they don't contribute as much because of the fact that they're burnt out, they're tired they're not giving a lot of ideas or value. And I think this is a way of giving, it goes down to value. How do I add value? And it's by reducing those things that you start adding value because you are really focused on the right things and not all of the things, but just doing more of it. Right. Absolutely. Angela. I think though too, that this was such an interesting part of the book because it was talking about removing obstacles to what you're doing. And that allows you more space to actually get what you need to get done. And I thought that the great thing about this was when he asked, what is the one obstacle that you can remove that will remove the other obstacles or remove several of them at least? Getting and I to the thought, root. That is awesome. I mean, if we could get to the root of what is causing us an issue or keeping us from doing our job, then what better thing could there be to do? You know, that that is um, one of the key things that uh, I do as a, as a therapist is trying to get to the root. What is the thing behind the depression? What is the thing behind the anxiety? You know, what is it behind the OCD or, you know, relationship struggles? If you can get to that root cause, everything else becomes so much more simple. You know, and we see that in, in health, too. You know, if, if you're not feeling well, you... you you don't just treat the symptom. But that's what so many doctors do today, you know? And so I started going to see a functional doctor. I haven't gotten very far with it, but I decided that I have so many symptoms, I'd really like to get to the root of it and figure out what's causing all of this. And I think that that needs to become way more prevalent in our healthcare system. Yeah. And, and you know, the idea of how do you, how do, you do that? You know, exactly. We're not, we're not, we're not here to solve the, the, uh, societal problems. No, um, not necessarily anyways. I mean, hopefully doctors, if you're listening to this, take note. Um, <laughs> however, you know, I, I think change does happen slowly and, um, steadily. And that's, you know, I mean, he kind of talks about it in, in this book, right? We, we, we take steps and, and we move forward we gradually cut things out, uh, eliminating the obstacles um, is a very methodical process. You think a lot more before you act. Absolutely. I think she brings it, he brings in that idea of pause 
especially at the, and I've heard that said in many, many ways. I agree with what Andy's saying. I think that you, that the other thing that's great about pausing is that it gives you that opportunity to think about whether you want to commit to something and be able to say no. And so pausing can help with that too, but also it just, you know, it helps you be present in the moment. So Andy, um, tell us more about the pause before yeah. taking action. Right. I, I've read it and heard it in so many different ways. So there is what is considered the sacred pause. There is in Buddhism, it's that mindfulness of just being able to breathe in, breathe out, being there in that present moment, not saying anything and just quieting the mind and being able to reflect about what is going on at this moment and not getting caught up, not trailing the thoughts, just, just letting it be, letting it reside without following it. And then at that point, coming to a conclusion about where it might be for yourself. You know, the first thing is, is that most of us try to go with the, you know, go with the, the first thought that comes in our head, the first reaction and being able to look at it, say, this is my reaction to it. And it may be an emotional reaction at first. And then being able to just go, oh, well, that was just emotional, but throwing in logic and just kind of being in that space for a few minutes without reacting, just seeing it and then moving on with it and then responding. So not, I think that's the biggest thing is responsive. And he mentions that several times as being able to then take note and then have a game plan for how to deal with said situation without it just being a reactionary base. So again, it, it's much more methodical. It's much more, I mean, mindful, right? You basically what you're, what you're explaining is, is mindfulness at its, at its core. At the very beginning of the book, right? I know we're I know we're at the end of the book. Um, we're discussing the latter half of the book um, compared to our last episode. But uh, the the beginning of the book set the the tone really well, uh, and it basically said that the essentialist is thinking, you know, and not thinking like like we talked about in the last, you know, the the noise of thinking and, and thoughts just coming everywhere that lawnmower it's the, it's the very, very deliberate consideration of what is happening in the now. And he says that that is what really differentiates an essentialist from other people. We are doing, a, and I'm going to call it not thinking, I'm going to call it considering. We are doing a lot more considering before making a decision than anyone else. And, and so there's a lot more of that and a lot less everything else. Right. I think that's really what he, when you think about it, that's what he's really breaking down is the essentialism. I mean, if you think what is essentialism in a, in a nutshell, that's really the real, that's the crux of it is being able to think through a, situation and a, and creating a strategy a mission statement to go forward with only what you need to do 
you know, and that he keeps mentioning that over and over again in this book. And he, he's very good about coming up with examples from his own life in different other places. And that's the crux of it is being able to find the root of what you need to be doing and then coming up with a game plan on how you're going to do it. Then things will flow from there. But the first thing is, is coming up with what thing do I need to do? And he comes up with strategies on how to develop that. And there's a lot of things not to do and how to strategies to not take on that burden. And some of that is like the no, he goes into really explicit information on how to say no to things that are not worthy. And he really goes into deep discussion on how to keep people still in your side. You're not just, you know, telling them no and get out of here, jerk. <laughs> but he's also saying no. And then maybe he comes up with, or, well, I can do that, but then I have to go shift this. So always keeping in mindful that you could possibly do whatever somebody's asking, but it's going to shift some other priority out or the, the other priority you have out of that space, keeping it a priority, not a priorities. Right. It's singular. Yes. It is singular. That was one of my favorite parts of the book, Andy. I really liked the no part because I have a tendency to, you know, fall, um, you know, want to please. And he was talking about social pressure being such a big thing that people are affected by when making decisions. And so to be able to say no and have so many different ideas on how to do that and do it with grace, like you said, Andy, I thought that was really great. Like, I thought it was kind of neat when he said, you know, you could, you could say, I can't do this, but here's somebody else who might be able to do this to help you. Or I can't do this. Like, I can't drive you to the airport, but here's the keys to my car. Why don't you take my car? So it's like, you could still help and still be there for that person, but not necessarily give the time commitment that they were looking for, which I thought was awesome. Uh, yes. Yes, it was awesome. You know, the, the graceful no. So that's chapter 11 of the book. Man, you know, it really does take uh, a lot more con um, considered effort to give a gracious no. Um, yes, saying yes. Uh, while maybe we don't want to say yes, it's the easy way, right? It's It's the flow of you know, downstream, we're going to, we're going to say yes, because it is much more difficult to say no, because they're going to get mad. You know, we talked about this in the last podcast, but man, being able to say, you know, I really appreciate that you have asked me to participate in this, that, that really makes me feel, feel good. And I hate to do this knowing how it would be helpful for you or beneficial for you, for me to say yes. And it is not going to work out for me to do this. I am so sorry. Absolutely. And I thought the example he gave of Stephen Covey and his daughter, when he talked about how, you know, his daughter and he had made this big plan for what they were going to do that evening. And then in the first part of the plan, they went to see a show or I think he was speaking 
and he saw a um, an old friend that he hadn't seen in years who invited them to dinner. And he said, you know, I would absolutely love to do that, but I need to be with my daughter tonight because we've made these plans. And that made her feel like a million bucks. And it, it really helped his relationship with her. And I just thought that was such a powerful story because sometimes saying no means that you are, you're building relationships with the people who are so important to you, which is your essential, essential, uh, your family, your, you know, your daughter. <laughs> well, a, a thoughtful no can, can really be a great expression of love. Absolutely. You know, it, it takes a lot more effort to, to do that in, in that kind of way. Right. And the person will be like, man, they really do care, even though they can't, you know, or don't want to, or can't, whatever it is. They, they took the time to, to really be kind to me about Absolutely. this. Well, not only did the daughter think that he cared, but I'm sure his friend really respected him for making his daughter the important priority in the situation. Absolutely. I think also the thing that, so the, it is definitely a skillful act to be able to do something like that, making sure that your priority, you know, is something, because a lot of times we do get into those situations where we think that maybe going to work with a colleague or some, you know, some person that has some significant value in your business dealing that that would be something that would be important, more important because it's going to set up a connection for later. But he's stating in that this is my priority is actually my family. And that's what I do all this for. And I think it's, it's, it's an example to the other person and to other people around him that this is what my core beliefs are. And I don't stray away from them. And that means that you're not doing things you don't want to do. Because people will stop. Um, it really sets boundaries. And he goes into that whole boundary section with the no on the weekends. I, I really, you know, no, no, uh, I really have something to do on Saturdays with my family. Well, then we'll, sh then I shifted it all to Sunday. I talked to everybody. We'll do, no, I'm, I'm really into my spiritual practice on Sundays. So no on that again. But he's setting very, even though it's a no with no, you know, there's no like, hey, we'll do it some other time. It's just setting boundaries again with what is a priority. I, I remember somebody in like Oprah's, one of Oprah's books clubs saying, people, you define how, and I think maybe even Dr. Phil. <laughs> it was Phil thing. Of course it was Dr. Phil. But you define how people treat you. And you stand up, you have to be able to do that for yourself. And in order to do things, you sometimes have to say no and set up boundaries of no. And this is why you may give a why, like I have a, something to do with my family. You don't just say no without anything, but you can say very staunch, no, this goes against my personal beliefs in some way. And they have to deal with that. And sometimes it's a, it's a, something that could affect business, but in the long run, it really doesn't, you know, working on weekends is, is I can testify burns you out quicker than anybody else, anything else. It just burns you out. Cause that means that you have an extra day in your week and you're not getting that much more done. The only way I would work on week 
weekends as if I have a technical weekend during the week, right? So you shift it instead of being like a Friday night to, to Sunday night, maybe it's a Tuesday to a Wednesday, right? Like having the break is what's the important part. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear uh, your guys' opinion, Angela and Andy. I think of all the chapters in the book, chapter 11, which is the, you know, it's entitled Dare, the Power of a Graceful No. I think that is probably the most important part of this book. I mean, he is basically saying this entire time, y'all need to say no more. Stop taking things on, right? You control your life. Don't let other people control your life for you. And so this chapter, chapter 11, listeners, if you don't read any part of this book um, other than this one, you will be you will be better for it. Um, read all of it, but definitely pay attention to this chapter. The last part of it, it goes through the no repertoire. The things that you can say, and, and this is so cool, he like he gives you this gift of like, this is what you say to people. This is how you say no gently and kindly while still being assertive. So he goes through number one, the awkward pause. And this goes along with what you were saying. You know, you, you just pause. You don't have to respond yet. Someone asks you to do something. You just wait, count to three, consider it, right? You're considering. And then maybe you respond with one of the following, if you want to say no. Number two is the soft no or the no but. I don't like the but word. I prefer to put and instead of but. We can we can discuss. Angela, you're shaking your head. What do you think? I think that but can be negative, you know, and, and it comes across to the other person as being kind of negative. So if, if you say no and we can do this or I have someone else to recommend, you know, you can you can sound much more positive like you're trying to be helpful instead of, you know, just saying no. Is however I, better than but you could say no. However, I recommend us do this. Yeah. I, however, and I mean, but sound, I mean, he, he gives a, a good example where, where, but doesn't sound as harsh. However, I, I just used, however, see, it's not as harsh. <laughs> so, however, <laughs> and it really does seem more gentle. And that's actually something talked about in, in, you know, a lot in, in some trainings that I've gone through as a therapist and, uh, a therapist has to be very deliberate in the approach with with clients. You know what what people say matters. Number three, let me check my calendar and get back to you. That's my favorite ever. I love that one because I've, it gives I've you that, that pause. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I've so used that one. <laughs> and maybe by the time you get back, they found someone else. <laughs> yeah. Or. Or, you know, you, you can look at your calendar. Let's say you do have time, you know. All you have to do is schedule in, you know, you, you write in there, me time. And you say, I have something else scheduled. 
I am unable to join. And you, it's true, you do. You have me time or some other important thing that, that you want to insert there. Exactly. Yeah, just make sure that you seem legit if you're going to do it. Because <laughs> if you make up a lie, it doesn't bode well for you. So you can say something, but make sure it's actually something like, no, we're going out of town and you never go out of town. And then they find out you don't go out of town. <laughs> they see you at the, the market. They see you at it's Costco. Like, oh, Oh, so, <laughs> oh, I was supposed yeah. to. Yeah, that all changed. So just don't need, there's no, don't lie about it. But you can say no and maybe schedule like, I'm going to read a book. And like you're saying, read book time. But you don't lie about it because that's actually going against your core values too. Very true, you know, and, and even just saying, no, you know, I have some other things going on. It's true. I mean, even if there's nothing scheduled, you probably do have other things going on at that time. Yes, it's, like breathing. <laughs> mindfulness. Meditating. That's exactly it. Catching up on your book club reading. Number four, use email bounce backs. I think this is brilliant. Um, Absolutely. So this is basically the idea that we have emails that you know, respond to people when we're out of town or when we're on vacation. It says, hey, I'm not in the office until such and such a time. Um, I will get back to you when I'm back. And people accept that. That is legitimate. So he says, why not add to that and use that in other areas, not just for vacations? I mean, what are your guys' thoughts about this? I think it's great. I, I think that if you're going to schedule a block of time to work on something, emails are always going to interrupt you. And it's really hard to get momentum when you're trying to be creative or write or figure out what is essential or figure out what your obstacles are that you need to overcome, prioritize what you need to do. All those things cannot be done if you're going to be interrupted every five minutes. And email absolutely does that. So I think it's brilliant as well. I think that using the bounce back during that time is awesome. I think that, and maybe not in email, but on your Teams chats or Splunk or whatever you're using for chatting, chat ops or chat team, you know, chat type of team uh, software, you can put do not disturb. And do not disturb means you can see that they're there but do not disturb means I'm busy. And so they don't have that, hey, what are you doing? It just means, hey, they're in something. And then blocking your calendar. I know people that block their calendar throughout the day just to make sure that nobody blocks that space. And I think that you can set those things up. So where maybe you come back to that email, and maybe you don't have to set up a bunch of redirects. But maybe you set up a bunch of do not disturbs in meetings that would not have you being disturbed during certain times of the day when you're like, hey, I'm focused, I'm synergizing. Uh, he says monk mode. I've heard it like my head, if my headphones are on, that means don't disturb me. My headphones are on. Uh, monk mode. That's right. That is, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, monk mode. Number five, say yes. What should I deprioritize? If you recall in the last episode, this was something I brought up 
from um, the seven habits of highly effective people. This is something that Stephen R. Covey, um, he, he mentioned the the person that he went to and he said, hey, I got this project that needs to be done. Uh, can you do this? And the guy was like, I can. I have these two other projects and uh, I don't have time for all of them. Which one would you like me to drop in order to do this? And Stephen Markovey was like, oh, well, no, those two are, that's more important. So I'll, I'll find someone else, right? And again, to reiterate what was said last time, Stephen went to him because he got things done. And that, what he did there, is exactly why he gets things done. He prioritizes what he needs to do and says no. And he doesn't overpromise. I mean, you know, and, and that just gives you more integrity and more respect from everyone else. For sure. For well, sure. It, it, it leads to that multitasking idea as well, is that a lot of people will say yes, and they'll either work longer hours. So they'll put in an extra two hours a night or four hours a night. Or they're going to try to multitask, which is single tasking two items at the same time. So you're only giving 50% effort on any one given moment when you're multitasking. So you're only, and it's probably actually less because I think you actually have to go between the two. So you're 30% here. And he says it correctly, focused, not maybe doing, but focused. Very true. Very true. Number six, say it with humor. I think this one this one depends on the person you're talking to, right? This is not going to be um, something that maybe you say to your boss, unless you have a really great um, relationship with the person, right? And you tend to have good uh, joking type of things. But if it's always been a little bit more serious, it might not work. But he gives the example of like someone asking him to go do something, and his response is, nope. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's right. Yeah. It elicits like a little bit of a laugh, right? It's, it was probably expected that he would say no <laughs> <laughs> from the other person. Yeah. And, and when you say, say it like that, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's just a, a very playful kind of Absolutely. thing, you know, you might be a little disappointed. They might be like, Oh, come on. Right. And you're like, nah, nah. <laughs> Right. I think that one's a pretty straightforward one. It's really, really fun. Number seven, use words. You are welcome to blank. I am willing to blank. So, uh, and he uses the example of you are welcome to borrow my car. I'm willing to make sure the keys are here for you. So someone asks you to drive them. You don't want to drive them, but they can use your car. So well, it's that, giving it an alternative, right? Yeah, you're still being helpful. You're still being right. helpful. It's not saying I invalidate what your request is because a lot of people, you know, they just need an and they're they're looking for a solution, and their first option would probably be like, "Hey, can you drive me?" But if you're saying, "Hey, here's a solution," and they're like, "Oh, well, okay." That solves their problem. That's what they were looking for. You you identified their problem, lack of transportation to said place, and you've solved their problem. So as long as you're solving their problem with your suggestion, then, oh, I didn't think about that. Okay, thank you. 
and then you've alleviated yourself from being responsible for taking them, but you've also made, you've solved their problem for them. So they now have a solution. That's a good point. And that, that fits well with the next one, which Angela, you already um, kind of talked about, right? It's this, I can't do it, but blank might be interested, right? So-and-so might be interested. It's, it is giving the alternative, providing a solution and not just leaving the person hanging. I really actually like this with my with my private practice. Um, when I have uh, people that are, are wanting to meet with me and I'm just I'm not available, right? Or maybe it's not my expertise. I feel like they could meet with someone else saying that to them. You know, I am I am fully booked or I I can't meet with you until like, you know, a month out. Um, but so and so therapist might be really beneficial here's their contact info you know it's it's making their life a little easier and yours and it's showing that you care it's still solving their problem again so it's still giving them a solution so that they can follow up and it's not saying a direct no i don't care because most people they're more concerned about you know feeling heard i've heard you but and then nope, I can't do this, but I can come up with a solution for you. So that other one is, hey, here's somebody else that can help you. Still that solution-based place. Yeah. But also being heard. And I think that being heard piece is what, it helps you with your reputation as a person that is, you know, out there to help. You may not have me able to do it, but you can at least come up with solutions to be able to fix it for them. So there you have it. That's the eight examples of, of how to say no in a really kind, gentle, assertive way. Listeners, if you have other examples or, or you know stories of things that have worked for you and when you've been able to say no or times when you think that something like this would have been helpful, please send us a message, you know, uh, Instagram, um, email, whatever it is, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, who knows, you might be invited to be part of the show at some future point in time, right? That was awesome. The other thing that I really liked was the part about routines and how powerful routines are, which I hadn't really considered. And so I thought that was really great. And, And I also thought that if you start saying no and it becomes a routine, it will get easier and easier. So I thought the part, um, you know, a little going a little bit further when he starts talking about actually executing what's essential and he talks about, you know, using a routine and setting up a great routine to start and embedding decisions that you've already made into that routine so that you don't have to make decisions Afterwards, you just go on autopilot and do this routine. And I thought that was brilliant. I love it. It makes it so easy. (laughs) Absolutely. So, and I think that's the one thing that you can definitely grasp from that is that the more you do, it becomes habit of mind. And I think that's what he's talking about is to way that you you can start saying no. And then he also had progressive steps like, Hey, uh, I really want to get a donut. I, I always stop and get a donut after work because that's what I do. Instead, I, I need to really get a salad. So being able to say, okay, when that thought of donut comes in, think salad instead. 
okay, the donut thought did come up, but remember, I'm going to say no to the donut. And now I'm just going to go get the salad. And then you're just changing it up. And then finally, it just becomes about the salad. That is so uh, simple in a way, if you, if you really think about it. But how many of us struggle with getting into a routine, you know, something new? We are in routines. You know, every single thing that we engage in typically is routine. Driving a car, routine. You ever find yourself driving somewhere and you're like, how did I get here? Routine. You're you're so used to it. You're on autopilot. Yeah. Well, we're hardwired for that. And and it's our brain functionality. If we start looking at the way the brain works, it tries to find there's so much stimulus out there that it tries to find routines so that you can function easier. So it doesn't take as much brain power to be able to do other things that it needs to do. So it's always looking for routine. And because we have that propensity, it's that's why it's so hard to change because that routine is set. It's on autopilot. It's on that auto record on that tape playback. <laughs> we record yeah. it and then we're tape playing. We're tape playing it, tape playing it it's because then it's easier and we don't have to use that much as much brain power to be able to put it on to that place. The problem is that there are certain routines that we have set up that are negative, like getting a donut after work or getting up in the morning and starting screens immediately. Uh, he mentions emails. And I know that is something I am horrible about. Alarm wakes up 6.30. I'm on my social media account just to go see if I missed anything or what I need to be doing. And that is such a, I'm not pausing. I'm not doing anything for myself. I'm not setting myself up for the day to get some space before I, you know, I'm even really ready to go. I'm immediately trying to jump into something. I'm in that routine. Every night I will look at my phone. I talk to people about getting into good sleep habits all the time. And I tell them, put your phone away two hours before bed. And here I am looking at my phone as I'm lying in bed trying to sleep. Wow. It takes a lot of discipline to change these habits, I think. And so he does talk about starting slowly and starting with just one and, you know, I think it takes 21 days to change a habit. I think for me, it takes more. I really do. <laughs> me too. Well, me it would too. take 21 days if that's the sole thing that you're focusing on. Right. Right. And we typically are, I mean, you know, that diagram that he has in the first book, the sun, basically, all the arrows pointing off different directions. That's our lives. We can try to, to have one priority. Today's society, we, we really, I mean, that's that's a great goal and it's just really tough society is set up in a way that it really it pushes boundaries there and so 21 days yeah if you're not working if you don't have kids if you um you know aren't uh having to do laundry and chores and all these other, like it has to be that I used to work at an, an inpatient rehabilitation for substance abuse. And one of the, the main reasons why a person would want to go to inpatient, I think, is simply because it gets them out of having to do everything else around them. Right? Like, that is, that is why I think inpatient is a good option. 
because you're only focused on getting clean. You don't have anything else going on. Yes, there's trade-offs. Okay, let's get that out of the way. But man, it's effective. If all of us could go into, you know, quote, rehab for um, eating less donuts, <laughs> you know, go to, go to a place for, for 21 days where you have no access to donuts. But salads, but salads. Yeah, and you're forced to do that basically. Are you gonna are you gonna be really good at not eating donuts? Absolutely. Well, you're also gonna be great because you don't have the triggers for the donuts. So he was talking about removing triggers that cause you to do things like driving by the donut place. So if you stop driving by the donut place, you're not going to be as likely to get them. And I think that an inpatient program would probably help with that as well, you know, getting rid of that that routine where you have triggers that cause you, you know, to use. Well, being around people that are triggering you, right? Exactly. Because when you're in the, you're in the situation, that's why those impatient things are so wonderful is because you're out, there's nothing there that can possibly be what you're used to. And you're just focused on your sobriety at that point or whatever it is, a mental mental issues, maybe depression or, you know, suicidal tendencies or suicidal ideations, those type of things um, are dealt with better and inpatient because of the fact that you're just focused on, well, A, it's giving you a, it's giving you a safe place to be able to do that. But additionally, I think that coming up with an alternative, if you are just dealing with like, you know, donut addiction, (laughs) you're not going to probably go to a place to go deal with that. But what you are going to do is you're going to drive somewhere else as an alternative. Yeah. And, and, you know, so my favorite word um, is deliberate. And um, what I mean by deliberate is you're going to follow the idea of out of sight, out of mind. You're not going to make changes if what you're trying to do is out of sight or out of mind. So you have to be very deliberate in creating reminders, bringing this into your life. You want to you want to stop eating donuts. You want to rem- remember to eat a salad. Have a little thing by your bed that says, "I eat salads." You know, we we want to focus on what we want to do, not what we don't want to do. So if you don't want to eat donuts and want to eat salads, never write, "I will not eat donuts." You will eat donuts. That's okay. true because you're seeing the word donut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's reminding you. <laughs> Don't think of a pink elephant. You're going to. It happens. So I will eat salads, or better yet, I eat salads. Very, very active. Have that by your bed every night. You'll read it every morning. You'll read it. Have a reminder on your phone, an alarm that goes off at lunchtime that says, "I eat salads." And then you have all of the stuff for the salad right there, ready to go. <laughs> well, he brings up that journal, the writing a journal. And that's exactly what he says he does. He puts his journal next to his phone. So instead of his phone, he's, oh, he's blocked. He's blocked himself by the journal. So now he has to pick the journal out and then goes, oh, huh, let me journal instead of doing the phone. So he's, you're setting yourself up for instead of, you know, oh, I'm going to drive pie. That before you even get to the donut, you're like, there's a salad in front of me. 
you know, it's, it's in the fridge before I even leave or, you know, you set something up to where, you know, there's food, the thing that you want, you're, you're hungry, probably that's the reason why. And he also, you know, that's kind of the reason why you're doing, oh, I'm hungry a little bit. I want a snack. Well, before you leave the office or home or whatever you're doing, you have something set up before that, like some way to be able to set something that's going to give you a snack that's healthy. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it, it will be a little bit more, um, in depth than just these types of things, you know, changing patterns of thought and behavior. It, it is, uh, it is something that can be a little bit complicated depending on what's going on in your life. Right. So I don't want people out there being like, Oh, what's wrong with me? I've tried that and it doesn't work. No, like you're, you're normal. If that happens, you know, it's just, um, making little adjustments here and there, maybe getting with a different support group or support person. But absolutely, um, the, the more deliberate you can be in, in this process, the more likely you're going to have success. I think he definitely talks about this as a journey. And he even says toward the end that he still struggles with it sometimes. And, you know, it takes a lot of discipline as we as we've already discussed. So I think it's just being aware of it and, you know, doing a little bit each day to try and get better and better. He says that in that one section too, at the very end where he's saying, are you reading these books for, or are you an essentialist? (laughs) And I think that if you consider yourself an essentialist, that means I am going to live by these means. This is who I am. Instead of saying, I'm going to adopt some ideas. I am an essentialist. I am going to be that. And so then you start incorporating that into your, this is who I am, you know, and that, and then when you kind of identify yourself as something, then you're more apt to be living by those rules and sets. Like I say, I am a Buddhist. And it also helps people understand exactly who you are. Like maybe they don't know what an essentialist, but people definitely know what a Buddhist is. And it helps identify right off the bat with boundaries about, I mean, people have these ideas about who you are before you even, even go through with a conversation with them. So I don't have to worry. I don't have to explain anything. I mean, maybe they might have some questions. I mean, they, they could have some preconceived notion that's incorrect, right? Stereotypes and and all that stuff. However, in this idea, right. Of being an essentialist. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you know I'm an essentialist and you understand what that means, you know I'm going to tell you no. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And that's you want you're me setting, to do something? You're nah. setting it up. Right. And that's what the, that's the setup here is, is that mm-hmm. if you say this is who I am, I am not going to just – a lot of times that's the, where we fail is that we just say, hey, I'm going to grab – I'm going to do some grab bag things. I like this idea. I like that idea. And then we never follow through. I, I can't tell you how many books I've read that have great ideas that I could incorporate into my life, but never have ever done it past the reading of the book. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, I tell you, what stops me with this book is knowing what is the most important thing. You know, it, it's hard to know exactly. I mean, he, he definitely goes through a process to figure that out but I don't think I'm there. So that's what I need to start with. Me too. He went through that whole thing where it was like the things that are not said, 
are the things that sometimes are like, what are they really trying to say here for what needs to get done? What is it really, what is, what's actually not said that there needs to be thought of? And that's the thing that actually needs to be, uh, and, and a lot of times, you know, people say, here's my problem. And it's like symptomatic stuff. Um, it goes right back down that symptomatic. I give you a bunch of symptoms of issues, but it's not what's said. It's actually what the root of all those symptoms, what the cause of all those symptoms are. Yeah. The that's big picture. Really right. And I think that those are the things that you really need to keep. I, I'm going to, I'm going to simply say that it, it, and he brings up Buddhism in this book as well. The Buddha, that's exactly what he was saying. It says, what is, he said, there is suffering. And then he said in the second, that's the first noble truth, that there is suffering. The second noble truth is there is a root of suffering and it's delusional thinking or craving, craving things that are out there. But he says, that's the root of all of the suffering. So when you can find the root, then you can go on to three and four, which is, okay, how do I, how do I resolve suffering? This is the cessation from suffering, not craving anymore. And then on the fourth thing, the four noble truth, he actually says, here's the path. So he went, this is, this is the problem. Here's the symptoms. There's all the suffering. He says, here's the root of suffering. Here's how you have cessation from suffering by not craving. And then he says, here's a path to follow in order to do that. And that's exactly kind of what we set up here is that there's these problems. What's the root of them? Like in your health situations, I, I have all these things. I have allergies. I, I don't sleep well, blah, 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 blah. And then you set, find out, well, I'm, a, I'm allergic to this and I have sleep apnea. <laughs> that's what I found out recently. I have sleep apnea. Okay, now that I know that I have sleep apnea, that's why I'm so tired all the time and why I have memory issues and why I'm not engaged all the time at work and all these other things that are causing me problems. I find out I have sleep apnea. Well, here is some, now that you know that, the cessation from that, get more sleep. And then the fourth is by the CPAP machine because it's going to help you, it's going to help you sleep at night. It's going to give you consistent air that's going to give you, you know, relief. And it's going to knock out, it's removing the obstacle that's going to knock out all those other symptoms or obstacles. The, the suffering that you're, you're, that you're, the symptoms, all of the symptoms. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. You know, um, in this episode, we have gone through so many important things. This, this book is a gem. I rated the last book as a 7 out of 10. I personally give this one an 11 out of 10. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. It is one for the ages. And I, I will try to practice essentialism moving forward, you know? And I've said that before. <laughs> I've read it before. I kind of failed. But it is a great reminder to try again. Well, what was really cool is this came right at the right time for me. And I think, Angela, you've kind of seen me over the years. Um, I was spreading myself out so thin that I wasn't able to accomplish anything. And I, that was the thing that I was like, Hey, I'm doing, I want to grow. This is my, this was my goal this year was to grow my, my channel. Um, and I wasn't able to do, I wasn't doing it very well because I had spread myself out too thin. 
And what I started realizing that in this journey of trying to figure out why I wasn't, this book has helped me come to a realization that I was not focusing on the right things. Like if you're going to have a social media channel, you need to focus on the right stuff. Like what is it that you're trying to achieve? And I think like this podcast is a major part of it, which is reaching out to other people and helping them with their problems and not just like beard oils and beard grooming ideas, but it's actually more, more vast than that self-care providing self-care. So if I can make videos about self-care, I can do one of those and a podcast and maybe not so many lives and maybe not so many things that don't even have anything to do with that. <laughs> and then I can grow the things that I really need to. And those are the things that I'm really focused on instead of just, Hey, that's that guy that does that weird beards and desserts thing. It's cool, but it doesn't really tie into what he's doing or those other type of things. So, you know, I, that's the piece that I got. And, and then having, followed some of this is like actually stopping some of the social media, turning it off for a bit so that I can focus on the things that matter. Focusing on the things that matter in a nutshell, that is essentialism right there. So let's just quickly review what we've talked about today. I think that'd be, that'd be beneficial. So in a, in a nutshell, right, um, essentialism uh, has those three, and I'm going to kind of bring in elements from the last podcast too. So it has those three elements, right, that we can choose. We don't have to um, say yes, basically. Only a few things really matter. Everything else is noise. And last but certainly not least is I can do anything, but not everything. The reality of trade-offs. So that's that's the core of essentialism. And today, what have we talked about? I thought you did a fantastic job of doing a great synopsis on this. It, it was wonderful. So if we want to go a little bit further, I think that you know he he's talking about figuring out what's important and then eliminating all the other stuff that's not important. And by doing that, you have to have the discipline to say no to everything that's, that's not important. And so he gave us the tools to be able to do that. And once we've done that, then we need to set up a routine to be able to, to execute so that we can you know, uh, meet our goals, meet our objectives. And our routine is essential because we have to have the right routine so that we're doing, you know, so that we go on autopilot and we can do this um, more easily and more effectively that way. And I think that's kind of the plan for the, with, with the book. And it was a great plan. It was very methodical the way it was laid out. And it's something we can just follow. Good point. Very good point. Yep. And that's wrapped up. Yeah. That's how you, that's, that's exactly what it was we're talking about today. You hit the nail on the head, Angela. Yes. Moving smart on smart goals. goals. We're going to have Angela on more often because she's a, a great speaker. You are too kind. <laughs> <laughs>
she's cool. it was actually really good yeah she's um actually you were yeah yeah very cool so um smart goals so smart goals just a quick synopsis brian what is smart goals smart goals uh, it's it's uh oh shoot specific measurable attainable rewarding is what i like to use the r for and then uh time bound right so we we are setting up goals that are outlining like it's getting down to the nitty-gritty of what we're doing right so we're making small steps which is in line with essentialism right we need small wins so we're gonna we're gonna have small steps objectives that are are very specific measurable attainable rewarding and time bound my smart goal for the year was to just eat more fruits and veggies right not necessarily to stop eating the crud that i like to eat but uh eating more of the healthy the last two weeks have not been good i will be honest i am not perfect everyone um what what we, we thought you were <laughs> oh i am so sorry to disappoint man i uh i did i did drink vh juice though VA juice is good. That's still, I, that's still in there. Low sodium. The the I regular, it's actually very the, the sodium part makes it not too great, you know? Yeah, but it's still so I love V8. I and there's people I didn't think I would like V8 like when I was a kid, I hated it. It was what my grandma used for Bloody Marys. So it was always in when I went and visited my grandparents, they had those little V8 cans and Every once in a while, I think I would be really thirsty, and so I'd go grab one of those, and I would suck one down and just like, oh, and make horrible faces. Now I absolutely love them, and it's, it didn't have to have vodka in it. <laughs> you just be, can just be, just be V eight. I love it. Yeah, and I like the spicy one. <laughs> I like the spicy one. So, spicy yeah. is good, and spicy yeah, is supposedly a- helps your metabolism too. Um, I, I had reported that I had lost almost 10 pounds. Well, uh, you know, it was pie day when we last spoke and I had pizza and from there it kind of just went down, (laughs) downhill a little bit. Um, I, I, I gained back some weight, but it's not all the way back. Right. Like, so it's like two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. So I am, I'm really happy with, with, uh, having not gone all the way back and that, um, this is a really good check-in, actually. I, I, I'm glad that we follow up on these things. New Year's resolutions fall off after about six weeks. That's the average. And while there's been some ups and downs for me, I have absolutely gone past the six weeks. There's been sustainable, continued effort and progress. I love it. Even nice. with the little back steps. Yeah. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. So my goal, as I talked about with, uh, and so some of it was, re, you know, redoing some things, still still keeping with the goal of growth. And I've actually been growing my YouTube. I've, I've gained like 60 subscribers in the last month. So I'm not doing bad. I am growing. But it is also going back to, I only do two live streams. I don't do a bunch of videos. Um, my live streams are more thought out more interesting they have value and those are the things that i'm driving like the the, i do the reviewers table every other week and we've been doing it consistently so somebody handles the other week 
So we do one week, uh, my friend Joe, and then I do it on the week that I can, so I can still take a week off, but we're still consistently producing content. So the next week somebody will go, Hey, Hey, there's that guy again. And then I'm also adding fun and some different things into the actual show itself to where we're doing like a public service announcement where it's kind of a funny public service announcement and adding different pieces to a content that's different than anybody else is doing. So I think for what I'm doing, I'm adding more value to what I'm already doing and then reducing, I haven't done a lot of the, you know, the, and I'm going to do, honestly, I think I've decided I'm going to do five top things about a product company. Like whatever they I'm reviewing. So for instance, High Mountain Sage. These are the five things I like about them. In and out, two minute video, three minute video, maybe five at the most. But keeping it short, simple, um, something that's easy to edit easy to edit. Maybe I, I thought about doing maybe a funny little skit to get people interested, like a hook. One of my friends thinks I sound like Ned Flanders. So I think he wanted me to be Ned Flanders and part of a video. (laughs) So, but doing something funny to hook somebody and then five reasons why you should love this company and then get out, you know, and then that frees me up from having to do all this research on their prices and things. There's usually there's five things that I like about different companies. And those are the things that I probably want to say to anybody why you should buy it. The other things are stuff they can research on their own. Like, hey, I heard that this is really good. Now I can go look at the prices of it. Again, to the essentials. Why create more work? Right. And I, my workflow has, and I'll be honest with you, the live streams are so much easier when you divide them into things and where you have like, and then, you know, you just do little video edit or little things on StreamYard that help kind of push somebody up and, you know, Hey, we're going to focus on this person right now. And then we go back out of it and do something else. So it's just changing it up just enough to do some video graphic stuff to help keep people engaged. A couple of weeks ago, we just had fun. You know, there was people on the other side pretending to be people that they like creating like uh, usernames and they were adding to the chat <laughs> <laughs> funny little thing. So like this last uh, Friday, I was the Pineapple Express. So Pineapple Express is, so if anybody knows, Joe does not like pineapples. So he's Joe Bearded Life Joe from our from the bearded community. And he does not like pineapple or feet. And Pineapple Express was giving feet limericks out in the chat, as well as poems about pineapples. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Joe. <laughs> Poor Joe. But it but it's within that same that fun to keep people engaged and having fun so that they want to stay. And I think that that's a that's that's a hook. And then we're laughing and having fun. And that was the reason why I'm doing social media. So again, it ties all that stuff back in. And then I'm also growing by leaps and bounds. I can't remember when I, I 60 subscribers in a month is like unheard of for me. So yeah, focusing yeah. on the essential stuff has been a really big push and has actually helped me without knowing it was helping me. That's awesome because, I mean, if you're going to put time into something, it better be something that you enjoy and want to do. If you don't, why are you doing it, right? Stop. Get out of it. Figure it out how you can say no and, and move on. But that's that's awesome that it's going well for you, Andy. Now, Angela. 
<laughs> First of all, you guys are both doing great. That That's awesome. You know, I've never really been one for New Year's resolutions because of exactly what you said. You know, they just don't, they don't, you know, there's no momentum to them. But I have to say that from the beginning of the year, the one thing that I really wanted to focus on was trying to figure out why I feel like I'm allergic to every single thing that I eat. You know, it, it's like I get all this congestion, I start coughing, I have asthma issues. And so that's why I started seeing this functional doctor because I need to figure this out. You that know, there's gotta so be a cause. That sounds yeah, so tough. Yeah, there's gotta be a cause. So, um, so that is definitely a big thing that I wanna get uh, to take care of this year. But I think after reading this book, you know, I, I'm, I keep hearing over and over and over how you've got to journal on a regular basis. And so I'm going to do it. I'm going to start journaling on a routine basis and figure out what my passion is. I know that's a buzzword. Everybody wants to figure out what their passion is, but you know, I need to figure out what is essential so that I can start doing this because I think that, you know, we've got my, I'm in a different place than you two. My kids are grown and gone. And I have a lot more time than I used to. So I need to figure out what I want to do outside of work, you know, besides catching up on Netflix. What what do I want to do that's going to make me excited and inspired and feel like I'm living for something great? So helping people. What an incredible um, journey that you are, are, are in, you know, figuring that stuff out. That is so cool. You know, life has all these different stages. And, and being able to look at what you've been through and where you're at now and say, okay, I have this opportunity to do something that maybe I've not done before. What is it? That's exciting. Absolutely. It is exciting. And talking to people like you who are already so inspired and passionate about something that you're doing, is it makes it all it makes it all the more exciting to me. And, you know, so I've really enjoyed talking to you too. It's been great today. We have loved having you and uh, you. we'll have you back sometime. I'm sure. I would well, love we that. Got a, Thank we got you. a book. We got a book to maybe we'll grab her back for that book that we're going to read for next. Burnout, right? Yeah. Burnout. Yes. By Burnout. Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski. And I, yeah. I don't know if I'm saying those. I have found that the names of all the books that we're um, reading, I I think I butcher their their names, and uh, I don't know if they'll ever listen to this podcast, right? But uh, the the book is called Burnout: The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle, and these two uh, that wrote it are are sisters, and um, they wrote. Or at least one of them wrote the New York Times bestselling book, Come As You Are. And this book does focus more on women and the types of things that uh, women are going through that, that causes stress and, and, and well, burnout in American society today. And I am looking so forward to reading this as, as a as a man in in American society, American culture, I, I I know that there's things that I don't know that women are going through. Right? That that's just being a man. Right? I don't know, 
and and there's been things that I'm I know that uh, men have contributed to burnout for women and stress for women, and so I really want to read this book so that I can learn how I can do better at not perpetuating problems that exist. You know that that is that is something really important to me, and and I I, I think it'll be really good insight for all of you listeners out there, men, women, trans, you know, whatever it is that, that you identify as, this will be a, a really great book to read. Yeah, I think it's about a raising emotional IQ. And I think that's what, when I think about what our podcast is trying to do, we're trying to do self-care, but also in that raising our emotional IQ, being a, being more mindful of things around us. And this is one way of being able to do that is having that emotional IQ about the people that we interact with, uh, how they're feeling, how they're doing, because that contributes to our well-being as well. Uh, happy wife, happy life, happy spouse, happy house, whatever you want to call it. You know, those are the essentials. But a lot of males historically have put emotional IQ, you know, like we're just here to hunt and gather. <laughs> we're, we're here to be the hunters. And we now don't have that. We're not in a space that like that anymore. So now it's essential that we have a raising of our emotional IQ so that we can go forward and become better. Yeah. So listeners, please go and buy this book. We have an affiliate with uh, bookshop.org. Um, so you can go to you can go to that link. It's it's in our bio and everything, so you can find the link to to go get this book. It's going to be good. It is. I think it'll be helpful, and then we'll have to uh, definitely get the uh, female ver- their female op you know thoughts on that. So that's I really look forward to things like that because there's a lot of times I just take take things for granted. Is a is definitely a male, a husband, um, a dad that um especially with raising two daughters that was my my really big experience as i raised two daughters and uh, you know it was a very eye-opening experience to say the least and it's a never-ending journey of understanding female needs as well as i think it's, it's human needs raising that emotional iq and being there for people any last words from anyone andy angela Thank you again, Angela. It was awesome to see you. We'll have you on again for sure. I had a wonderful time. Thank you both for having me. And I'm excited to talk about the next book. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. So listeners, beard on. Um, Stay bearded.